Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning. The final from Progressive Field in Cleveland. It's the Seattle Mariners 6, the Cleveland Indians 2. The Indians do win the series, but the Mariners spoil Sunday. I'm David Barris, lifelong Cleveland baseball fan, and I want to talk about the actual game on the field, the thing I enjoy watching baseball being played. Did not get to watch a ton of this one, but saw how it started and it was pretty much all downhill for the Cleveland Indians. I mean, you have things set up perfectly for a Sunday. You've already taken two games, so you've got the series one against the Mariners. you got your ace on the mound going against one of the worst teams in baseball. I know record-wise they're not one of the worst teams in baseball, but I think we all know that the Seattle Mariners aren't going to be contending for the playoffs. Like Nobody sees them as a playoff team. Maybe they surprise us. Who knows? Maybe they come out of nowhere and get hot. But I think right now, everybody feels like the Mariners are still trying to figure things out in the rebuild. And you've got your ace on the mound. It's set up for a Sunday sweep and does not go to plan. You know, everything falls apart on that one. So let's get into it. Let's get into the storylines. I mean... To be honest, there's not a ton here. The Indians only had five hits. There's not much offensively to really dig into. I, you know, the pitcher for the uh, Seattle Mariners, the rookie Logan Gilbert, really kept us off balance all day. And uh, his final line: six and two thirds, four hits, one earned run, one walk, six strikeouts on ninety-two pitches. We hard hit him seven times, but. It wasn't good enough, and none of them were able to get through, and uh, yeah, Gilbert gets the win against the Indians, and he made his Major League debut against the Cleveland Indians. If you remember back in, let's take a look at his uh, game logs, that was back in May, May 13th uh, in Seattle. He took the loss in that game. He went four innings in that game, five hits, four runs, Two home runs given up in that game and five strikeouts. So a little bit of revenge for him against the Cleveland Indians. He now has a win under his belt against the Cleveland Indians. And was this a, was this officially the revenge game for Jake Bowers? We haven't even talked about the fact that we traded Jake Bowers. We talked about the fact that Bowers is gone and Bobby Bradley is in. But we didn't even mention on the show yet because there was so much to talk about in these games the Jake Bowers was actually traded off the team. Now, he was traded to Seattle for a player to be named later or cash considerations. I think we all know that that's going to end up being cash. I mean, Antonetti just did a little press conference where he talked about how financially strapped the Cleveland Indians are. He basically straight up told you. Now, that could just be a smokescreen. That could just be ownership saying, look, get the word out there that we lost a ton of money in the 2020 season, and then they won't hold us accountable for not signing players, right? Is that some, you know, I'm going to try to say this without cursing, malarkey smokescreen for, uh, you know, for ownership so that they don't have to spend money? Maybe, maybe. I could see an ownership group doing that, send the general manager out there or the president of the organization out there, have them say something like that cry woe is us, and you know we lost so much money, and then they don't have to spend it for the next few years because it's on record now. I can also see the fact that they lost money during the pandemic, and uh, it's going to take them a while to recover from that. I could see it. 
Either way, it doesn't matter. If you own a Major League Baseball team, uh, you, you should have the money to own a Major League Baseball team. Like, you don't... You wouldn't buy a lake house if you didn't have the money to keep up and maintain that lake house, right? You wouldn't have a luxury like that. I say lake house because we're in Cleveland and living by the lake is a luxury. I'm sure if you're in different parts of the world, yeah, an oceanside you know, res- residence, a summer house, something like that, uh, right? You wouldn't buy a sports car. You, know? you wouldn't buy a, a convertible Corvette for the summertime if you couldn't handle the maintenance of maintaining that car. Right? That's something you consider when you buy something, especially something exuberant like, oh, I don't know, a professional sports team. So on one hand, yes, I get it. Right, It changed the finances. The pandemic changed the finances of you know, everything. But on the other hand, it, it seems like a little bit of a smokescreen to give them a little bit of uh, get the fans off their back a little bit. Anyways. What were we talking about? Jake Bowers. Yeah, Jake Bowers got traded. And so it'll probably be cash coming back. It, it, maybe a low-level prospect, you know, a single-A prospect or something like that. I doubt. I'd be surprised. I'd be surprised if it actually is a player to be named later. All right. So Jake Bowers, maybe this was his little bit of a revenge game. He was two for four. He had a double. He had a run scored and an RBI and a walk on the day. So he had three hard hit balls on the day. He's got his average up to 200 and his OPS up to 574. Look out. I mean, the Seattle Mariners, I get the move from their standpoint. They need bodies out there. They are dropping like flies. They have, I mean, we talked about how some of these names weren't even on the roster the last time we faced them. Then Mitch Hanniger, one of their best hitters, right? He's got the second best OPS on the team. He goes down after fouling one off his knee, which looked. I didn't, I didn't hear what the result was of that. I mean, I, I was shocked that fouling a ball off yourself was that big of an injury because it's, I mean, it's hard to, let's face it, it's hard to break bone. Uh, but the bone is tough. And uh, usually when a guy goes down with a knee, it's a ligament thing, which I don't know if you could do a ligament thing by just fouling a ball off your knee. So, I don't want to get into what it could be because it just gets gruesome from here, but uh, we'll see if Hanniger is able to shake off what happened to him or if it's a really, really bad injury because it looked bad the way they carried him off the field. So they're losing more guys. So yeah, so Jake Powers is going to be uh, an important part of uh, Seattle Mariners surviving the season. And uh, yeah, so... It's official. Bowers is gone, and I guess this will count as his revenge game because we're not going to see Seattle again for the rest of the season. All right, so let's get into Shane Bieber, and let's talk about him. He's got a five and two-thirds innings pitch. This is his line on the day. Five and two-thirds, ten hits, five earned runs, two walks. He still got his strikeouts, eight strikeouts, but gave up two home runs. He gave up one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight hard-hit balls, on the day. Why, why do they, you know what would help out Baseball Savant, if you're listening, if the people that edit the Baseball Savant webpage are listening, could you just put in parentheses how many hard hit balls all those little fire icons add up to, at least for the pitchers? Like, when you, there's no, you know, when you're doing tallies, you do that fifth tally as a slash so you could see the little bundles of tallies, right? It makes it easy to count. When you just have eight fire icons lined up next to each other, 
it's really hard to count that. So there's my plea to the baseball savant people. So yeah, it's not a good line. It's really not a good line for Shane Bieber. And it hasn't been a good line uh, against the Seattle Mariners. It's really been a struggle for him against the Seattle Mariners because he faced Seattle back on the 16th, May 16th. And in that game, he also took the loss. All, went four and two-thirds in that one. Five hits, three earned runs, no home runs in that one. Four walks, though, and only seven strikeouts. So he got hit around in that one and took the loss now twice against the Seattle Mariners. On the season, on the season, he's by far been his worst against the Seattle Mariners. He's 0-2. He's got a 697 ERA against the Seattle Mariners. Uh, that blows away any other ERA against any other team. He does have 15 strikeouts, so he is racking up the strikeouts against them. But he's got a 2.032 whip. Walks, hits per inning pitch. That is bad. That is really bad. The, I mean... There is nobody else that he's faced where he's got over a two whip. So by far, the Seattle Mariners have given him fits. And I warned you. I warned you yesterday about pitching in day games. Bieber does not do good in day games. Here are the day-night splits. Ready? We went over them yesterday. Now they look even a little worse today. Five and one at night with a 245 ERA. During the day... Two and three with a 419 ERA. That is a significant, significant difference. Uh, He is getting plenty of strikeouts during the day. So he has seven starts at night, seven starts during the day. Uh, About how many innings pitched? He's actually pitched more innings at night. He's lasted longer in games at night. 47 innings to 43 innings. 47.2 in two-thirds innings to 43. But he's got more strikeouts during the day. He's got 70 strikeouts during the day, 60 strikeouts at night. He's given up more walks during the day and more home runs. 20 walks during the day, 7 home runs during the day to only 4 home runs and 13 walks at night. So yeah, uh, he is struggling during the day. That is good enough for a 1.349 whip during the day and a 1.154 whip at night. So there you go. Uh, It's not, I I mean, honest to God, I would see if you could figure out a way to either give him a day off or something like that, or coming off an off day, skip someone's spot in the rotation, and get him on a cycle where he is pitching night games, and get him out of these day games. Uh, I know that, you know, obviously night games happen more often than day games, and it's not always going to line up like that, but there is a significant difference there. So, there are some of Shane Bieber splits, and what was happening? Like, what was, what was causing these problems for Shane Bieber? Well, it looked like his knuckle curveball. And if we go to the breakdown, and in the post game interview, he talked about how he didn't have a feel for the knuckle curve. He couldn't find it. It was like that a few starts ago. He started to find a groove for it in his last few outings, and now he has lost the feel for the knuckle curve. And when we talk about feel, Like, obviously, each pitch has a different grip, right? The way you hold a four-seam fastball is different than you hold a knuckle curve. That's why you see these guys bury the ball in their mitt and kind of spin the ball around in their hand to find what, you know, what uh, 
strings they want to put their fingers on, you know, what laces they want to put their fingers on to get the correct spin on the ball. And so not only that, but with a breaking ball, you're not releasing the ball off your fingers the same way. The ball might come off the side of your finger or you might snap a finger uh, to get that spin on the ball. And uh, to be honest, I'll give some shout outs to my brother who had a wicked curveball in high school and he didn't do it by snapping his wrist. Remember when you were a kid and that's how you learn how to throw a curveball where you snap and broke your wrist? He did it with the finger, with the middle finger by snapping the middle finger right on the seam of the ball to get that spin and to get that ball to drop. Uh, It was a pretty wicked curve. I'll give him credit. And uh, Bieber has a wicked curve. It's just he's lost that feel for it. So whether it's the ball coming off of his finger or where his finger sits on the strings, um, on the laces of the ball, that is what is missing. But he still threw it 35 times. He still had a 40 CSW on it. He had seven whiffs, seven called strikes on 35 pitches on the knuckle curve. So you would look at that and think 40 CSW, that's pretty good, right? That's, that's a pretty good number, an indicator that the pitch was working for him. Not necessarily. Not necessarily. If we go over to the illustrator, and I've got this broken down so that we're looking here at the results tab. So this is the results, right? A hit, a walk, a strikeout, a field out, a ground out. Um, These are the results that happen just off of the knuckle curve. And like I said, his line on the day, he gave up 10 hits. Well, he gave up six of those hits to the knuckle curve, with the knuckle curve. He gave up four singles and both home runs off the knuckle curve. And if memory serves me right, he's he gave up almost all of his runs off of the knuckle curve. Does it tell us here? Uh, it doesn't tell us here whether what runs came in. Both home runs, obviously, were three runs. And then I believe the two runs that he gave up in the second inning were both singles off of that knuckle curve. One was the one that Eddie Rosario overran in left field. So, uh, well, we'll go in order. So, G'day had a sharp single to left field. That's the one that scored Jake Bowers. That was the first run. That was off a knuckle curve that he took to the opposite field. And then J.P. Crawford follows that up by also going opposite field with a knuckle curve, hitting it through the gap to left field. This one, there was a runner on second. And Eddie Rosario thought he was going to throw someone out at home, came in charging like a bull, and overran the ball. The ball hops over his glove. That's what happens when you don't square a ball up as an outfielder. And I know from experience, because I literally did this in an old man's softball game two Sundays ago. And if you do not square that ball up, it is going to hop over your glove and go past you and cause some damage. And that's what happens here. Eddie Rosario comes in. Eddie Rosario just, he goes from making great plays to making these knucklehead plays. And you kind of have to say that's our Eddie Rosario at this point. Right, He makes a great catch against the wall on uh, Saturday night. Was that Saturday he made that? And then he comes in on a ball like this, thinking he has a play at the plate, thinking he could throw someone out at the plate, and then makes an error that causes a run to score. So Eddie Rosario, it seems like it seems like every time he's making an error, it's when he thinks he can throw somebody out at a base. He, he does have a strong arm, 
but the accuracy of that arm is really suspect, is really in question. And I bet the Minnesota Twins fans would be like, yeah, we could have told you that. So he's aggressive out there. He makes some good catches. He covers a lot of ground out there in left field, which is nice. But he does get a little over-aggressive at times. It causes some errors. So all every run scored, all, all five runs that Bieber gave up, I believe were off of that knuckle curve. So that is the difference. And on the location of these pitches, most of them are down but on the middle of the plate. We're talking thigh-level for most hitters, right in the heart of the plate. Uh, the first home run he gave up to Jake Fraley, who I believe is a lefty, that is up. That is at the belt, so a hanging knuckle curve right at the belt, middle of the plate. And then he gave one up to Ty France, which was uh, on the right edge of the plate, but also up around the belt. So, yeah, these aren't balls that they were going down and getting, you know, going down and getting a low one off the dirt and just poking it through, um, you know, a golf swing and golfing it out to the outfield. These were balls that were in the strike zone, and they were hitting. Uh, he also walked someone on a knuckle curve. He threw one high, uh, missed the top of the zone with a knuckle curve. He did have four strikeouts with the knuckle curve. One was almost in the exact same location that he eventually gives up the home run to Jake Fraley on. Uh, one was middle of the plate and the left edge, so he did get a strikeout of Jake Fraley up with a curveball. I believe that was when Fraley came in. Uh, yeah, that was in the first inning when Fraley came in after Hanniger had injured himself. So uh, that one, Fraley was like just hot off the bench, and Bieber threw him two curves and two swings and misses. And then the other two were down. He got Kyle Seeger down low with a curveball, and he got Taylor Trammell down with a curveball. So he was still getting strikeouts with it. He still had four strikeouts with it, but all the damage done against him was off that knuckle curve. So there's your storyline right there. I mean, that is that is the storyline for Shane Bieber. And uh, Brian Shaw would come in in relief. He'd do a good one in a third inning. He'd get a strikeout to get out of that sixth inning, uh, and then a walk and a strikeout in the seventh. Trevor Steffen comes in, actually throws 45 pitches in two innings. So uh, some hard work relief from him. But at that point, we were down, and uh, we probably weren't coming back. So he was there to finish that game and save the rest of the bullpen. Gives up three hits, two hard-hit balls, and an unearned run, but uh, does get three strikeouts um, in his two innings. So, again, some nice hard work from Trevor Steffen to save the rest of the bullpen. Now... As far as the Indians' offense goes, it was a really slow day. Uh, Eddie Rosario is the only one with a multi-hit day. He was two for three with a walk and a run scored. But one of those hits was a check swing that actually shot uh, through the shift. Uh, he literally, I think if and, you know, if it, someone had appealed down to third base, an umpire would have said he did not swing at that ball. That's how light of a check swing it was from Eddie Rosario, but the ball ends up hitting his bat and shooting through. Um, I wonder what the exit velocity was on that one. Uh, ends up shooting through for a single. Uh, it was the first hit of the game. 54.1 mile per hour exit velocity. Probably not going to get a little fire. You should get a little icicle icon for that next to your name. All right, so yeah, so he's the only one with a multi-hit game. Uh, the Indians would threaten 
in the ninth inning. Uh, in the sixth inning, they're able to score because Bradley Zimmer gets on. Uh, did Bradley Zimmer steal that base in the second? I think that's when he steals then. Yeah, off of Gilbert. And then uh, Ahmed Rosario is able to single him in for the only RBI for the Indians on the day. Ahmed Rosario was one for three. Uh, he's got his average up to 280 now with a 744 OPS. Man, that just continues to climb. And uh, so, yeah, so Bradley Zimmer is able to come in and score a run there. And then in the ninth inning, things do get exciting. Things got a little exciting for the home crowd. Ernie Clement gets the pinch hit. He took Tristan McKenzie's spot on the roster. He gets his first major league at bat, and he strikes out. Jose Ramirez would ground out. So we got two outs here. Eddie Rosario would walk. Bobby Bradley would single. It was his only hit on the day. It was a ground ball. Uh, I believe it was a ground ball, considering it had a launch angle of negative 14 degrees. Uh, it had an expected batting average of 110, but it goes for a single. Harold Ramirez is then hit by the pitch to load the bases for Josh Naylor. So we're doing all this with two outs on only one hit. Uh, we load the bases for Josh Naylor. Then a wild pitch actually lets the run come in to score. Eddie Rosario was able to come in to score. And then Josh Naylor lines out to left field to end the threat. So the Indians do threaten. I mean, even a grand slam from Naylor there. At, you know, with, with When the bases were still loaded, would have only made it a 5-6 game. So it was still pretty far out of reach. But... Still fun to load the bases in the ninth inning and have a shot at redemption, just like we did on Saturday night. But it does not happen here. So that's all my thoughts on the game. It was pretty rough. MVP for the day? Do I give it to anybody? I mean, nobody really deserves it here. I I guess I'll give it to Brian Shaw for coming in and having a nice, clean, you know, outing from the out of the bullpen. I think it's been a few days since Shaw has pitched. Uh, again, one and a third, a walk and two strikeouts. He got Bieber out of it in the sixth and then pitches a clean seventh. So for lack of better options, I guess, Brian Shaw, you get MVP for the day. All right, uh, coming up, we got the Baltimore Orioles coming back into town for a four-game set. And uh, it is... We got a lot of games in a row here. They talked about it on the broadcast. We've got one off day before the All-Star break on June 23rd. So we have got to go a long time. We got a week and a half here till the off day. And then they got to go one, two, almost two and a half weeks before another off day. So we've got a long series in Minnesota. We've got a long series in Houston. And then another four-game set in Kansas City. So uh, there are going to be some long series here, including a four-game set about to start against Baltimore. Um, The pitching matchups for this series, they're all 7 o'clock games, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, then a day game on Thursday, a getaway day for everybody on Thursday. So Mejia is getting another start. J.C. Mejia is getting another start for the Indians. The Orioles have not announced their starter yet. On Tuesday, Quantrill is getting another chance. Against Matt Harvey for the Orioles. Still hanging in there trying to make it work. And then on Wednesday, it's going to be Savali against Aiken. And then I don't think the Indians have announced a starter for Thursday yet going against Lopez. Uh, That probably would have been McKenzie's spot to start, but he got sent back. 
down. Will he get called back up for that, or will they go with someone else, an Eli Morgan, a bullpen day? Um, we still haven't really seen him go with a true bullpen day. I, I don't love bullpen days. I really don't. Uh, I'd rather see a starter get in there and get in a groove. So, yeah, you got Mejia. Will that go to Henches? You got Mejia, Quantrill before we get back to Savali, and then Thursday is a question mark. And then we head off to Pittsburgh and to the Chicago to face the Cubs for a two-game set. So, yeah, uh, Baltimore is going to be interesting because they really, really lit us up last time. So we have got to figure out a way to pitch around Mullins at the top of the order because that guy is a spark plug that ignites their offense. Um, Yeah, Mount Castle, we got to figure out a way to handle that guy. He had a couple of home runs against us, even if the fans in Baltimore assisted on one of those home runs. He ain't going to get that luxury here in Cleveland. Not with that giant wall in left field. It's going to be, I mean, we really need to, we really need to get a little payback against the Baltimore Orioles for what they did to us when we were down there. So we'll see how it goes. Four games against the Orioles should be a chance to rack up, you know, a lot of wins here, especially the Orioles and then Pittsburgh, right? The Orioles and then Pittsburgh, you got seven games against losing teams here where you really should rack up some wins because we are slipping behind the Chicago White Sox in the division. I mean, the White Sox are really running away with this thing. They're 41 and 24. I mean, that they're on a four-game win streak. We so even though we won the series against Seattle, we don't pick up any games on the White Sox. We're at 34 and 28, still a very respectable record. But right now, you're in the mix with that respectable record for the wild card. You are not anywhere near the division right now. So this would normally be a chance to catch up on a division rival facing two bad teams in a row like this, but not after what Baltimore did to us down south. So we'll see how it goes. That's all my thoughts. Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland baseball morning. Again, the final from Progressive Field. It was the Mariners 6, the Indians 2. We'll be back tomorrow to talk about JC Mejia, Giancarlos Mejia, and how he does returning to starting. You can follow me on Twitter at Davey Barris. You can email the show at clevelandbaseballmornings at gmail.com. Let me know your thoughts on the game, and we'll discuss them on the show. Also, I'm hosting this podcast on Anchor, so if you go to anchor.fm forward slash Cleveland Baseball Mornings, you can leave a voicemail for the show. We'll play them back in the air, respond to your thoughts, and we'll have a fun conversation amongst the fans about baseball. So thanks again for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning.